You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. try something new this morning and was just kind of an idea in our staff meeting and uh, we'll see if this if this flies and if it doesn't we won't do it again but if it does uh, maybe it'll be a pattern so we want you guys to be listening this morning with a different focus maybe in mind um, we're going to have like a just a Q&A after my sermon and you know what questions do you have Anything related to the text, related to how, um, how it uh, applies to your life, anything like that. So here's how this is going to work. You can be listening with that filter this morning. Man, I wanna, I'd love to know more about this, or I'd love to know more about that. And I might not have the answer, but, I'll, but I will promise you that uh, I'll work on the answer this week and get back to you if I don't have the answer. Um, but here's what you can do. Uh, if you have a question, open up Slack. And type a direct message to James Davenport, okay? Direct message James Davenport, and then he will, when I'm done, uh, he'll send me a text, and uh, we'll just see what we have, all right? So we're going to try that, and uh, see how, so don't be shy, all right? All right, so we're in Philippians chapter 1. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 8, and this opening, and, and Paul's deep love for these people that he's writing to as he's in prison, this newly planted church. You can see this planted church in Acts chapter 16, new converts in Philippi. It's kind of wild, a very diverse group. And and he's writing to this church probably much later. Uh, The church has been established. And um, he has a deep love for them. And we saw that last week. Their partnership is profound. He's super thankful for them. They're supporting him. They're standing by him. And now he's going to just simply... Pray for them, okay? He's going to pray for them. We're going to see his heartbeat in prayer. You know, like when, if you think about yourself or you think about listening to somebody else pray, you can tell a lot about what somebody values by how they pray. You ever think about that? Just like how we spend our money or how we spend our time tells you a lot about what somebody values. Same with how we pray. Like, what's our default setting when we pray? I know, sadly for me, my default setting when I pray is oftentimes me and my needs. Lord, I'm stressed about this. Lord, I need you to provide here. Lord, you know, and those are all, you know, those are good ways to pray. It's not that you shouldn't pray that way. In fact, Jesus taught his followers when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said what? He said, pray like this. It's okay to ask for Give us this day our daily bread, right? It's okay to pray for the things that you need. But I feel like for me, if I'm honest with myself, my proportions can be kind of off. Where it's all just give me my daily bread and I forget, Lord, man, I want your name to be hallowed. And I, and I want your kingdom to become as, and your will to be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven. And, and I want to be a, a person who's forgiving as I've been forgiven, you know, all that. So the proportions can be off. What does that tell me? It tells me that, man, there's probably room for me to grow in selflessness, right? There's probably room for me to grow in in, in selflessness based on how I observe myself praying. I need to grow in other ways that Jesus taught us to pray. 
But this morning in our text, it's, it's so beautiful how Paul prays for this, this Philippian church. He's, he teaches us how to be God-centered and other-centered in our praying. And think about this as a radical step. He's writing this prayer from prison. If there's ever a time to be self-focused, it might be then. Like, I'm suffering here in prison. I, I just need y'all to be praying for me. Like, that's what I would be tempted to pray. But he doesn't do that. He's solely focused on this church and the health of this church that he's recently planted in Philippi. So let's take a look. Let's take a look. If you can open up your Bible to Philippians, if you need a Bible, there's some in the back. I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's good to have it on the screen, but it's good to, like, know how to find things in your own Bible. So when you're on your own, uh, it's like you know where Philippians is, and you can get used to reading, and maybe there's some study notes. So I'd love to have you bring your Bible to church. Verse 9 of Philippians 1. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So let's start here. Look at verse 9. And I want, you, and I want to focus on the word that your love may abound. See it there in verse 9? That your love may abound more and more. So what does that mean? This is the first thing out of his mouth when praying for this church. That their love would abound more and more. This got me thinking about Culver's. Okay? I know. And, man, like sometimes when we are out driving as a family, you drive by the Culver's and you see that flavor of the day, like chocolate madness, whatever it is, like chocolate cookie crumble madness. And it's like, oh, pit stop, we're going to Culver's, you know, flavor of the day. And you go in there and you're watching um, as maybe you're going to get a cone. And that lever comes down on the machine and, you know, like this, and then it's like swirl, swirl, swirl. It's like, man, how high can they stack that thing? It's just going and going. And, and maybe it's even going to, like, topple over because this, this power of yummy chocolatey goodness is just erupting out of this cone. And, man, that is exciting, right? That's a picture of abounding. That's a picture of overflowing right like you don't want to get a cone and have ice cream just like peeking out over the edge of that cone no that's lame that we, nobody wants that you want a cone that's abounding and, and overflowing the edges of the cone because man that's I'm gonna eat all that ice cream it's gonna be good right you watch the kids and their eyes are just like keep it going you know That's an illustration of abounding, overflowing. Paul's not talking about ice cream. He's talking about love. But it's the same idea. It's the same idea. He's talking about love. That your love in this church, recently planted in a context that doesn't 
doesn't appreciate Christianity, that your love would abound over the edges, can't contain it, right? It might, it might get kind of crazy because it's overflowing, because there's so much of it. Paul's saying, like, keep the lever down on that ice cream machine and just keep, keep going, right? Keep stacking it. Because the more love, the more enjoyment, the more security, the more joy, the more glory for God and, and joy for us. See, Paul knows that that's what love is like in the community of his people in this newly planted church. If the love keeps overflowing, and that's where church gets really beautiful. That's why he starts this way. Right? The thing you start with is something you're trying to emphasize oftentimes. And he's emphasizing abounding love, overflowing love. He's praying, God, would you do this in these people in this church? Look at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Why, why would Paul pray this way? I think it's because this is one of the grand themes of the Bible, right? God comes up to Jesus one day and says, teacher, what's the most important thing in the whole world? Paraphrase. What's the most important thing in the whole world? What, what, which law is the most important? And Jesus says, uh, ultimately, love God and love neighbor. Love God and love others. That's the most important thing. And so Paul prays that way. It's consistent with Jesus. Love is a huge deal. It's he's just praying what is consistent with the heartbeat of God. Right? But it's not just love. Can't just be love. Look at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with something. So it's love plus something else. What does it say? With knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Now that's a powerful combination. You got love informed by knowledge or truth, I think we could translate, and discernment. See, if you only have love but no content to your loving, then you can get pushed around to love things that are not lovely, to love things that aren't the heartbeat of God, okay? It's easy to, you can love the wrong things or, or loving with the wrong motive. But see, our, our love has to be informed with, what does he say, with knowledge or truth, guided by the truth. It, it can just devolve into like, like sentimentality, right? Or just expressing our feelings as an end in themselves. But love matched with truth or knowledge, which again, for us as Christians, the definition of truth or knowledge is God's word. What God has revealed and said, this is the truth. This is the knowledge I want you to have. It's not abstract. Right? Paul's thinking that. He's not just thinking some, well, yeah, you could get knowledge from 
Jesus or from Socrates or Aristotle. No, no, he's thinking God-centered here, Jesus-centered here. See, if our love just is just love and it doesn't have truth, it doesn't have knowledge according to God's revealed word, it just breeds chaos. It just breeds chaos because our desires and the way that we love is all disordered, and all of us can speak to that. I, I love things that I shouldn't love, right? My heart is drawn to things, to worship things. The Bible category is idolatry, right? To love things that aren't God. And good things can become God things, and that's where it destroys us. See, love with no truth just breeds chaos. We don't discern the right things to love. That's why we need truth and knowledge to, 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 to be the boundaries that bring freedom, right? And I got a perfect illustration of this from this past week of why Paul would pray this way. So last Sunday, we bolted out of here uh, because we had to go pick up our new puppy. And we got, yep, you know, there's got to be a, a puppy illustration after you get a puppy, right? That's just going to happen. Kim did it this week at Karis, and there's Winnie. She's, um, she's a German Shepherd female, and she's about nine weeks, tiny little thing, right? And we're just smitten with this dog, right? We love this dog. Loving this dog is not hard, right? I mean, what's better than puppies, right? I mean, they're just the best and the worst all at the same time, Right? So think about it. If we just love this puppy and there's no knowledge or truth, there's no boundaries, rules, limitations, what happens? Chaos. She would eat our couch and destroy it, right? She, she loves to chew on everything. It's just a little alligator, just everywhere, just teeth everywhere. You know, just what can I chew on and how fast can I destroy it? That's puppies, right? So puppies have to have truth. Winnie has to have truth. Like you can chew on this, but not this. To inform our love for her, for us to have a good relationship. You can poop here. You cannot poop here. Right? You can eat this. You can't eat that. See, if we just love her, she's not free to flourish according to her nature as a dog. Her, her desires are disordered, disordered, let me tell you. Very, very clear. She does not know the right thing to do. She has zero discernment, as Paul prays here. Right? So it has to be, her, our love for her has to be informed by truth, by knowledge, according to our revelation for her. Right? Now, you get where this is going, Right? I mean, this is, you could just apply the same principles to parenting. A lot of new parents in the room. It's the same thing. And Paul, in a sense, is, is parenting. This is a parental kind of prayer for this Philippian church. I love you so much, and I want your love to abound. But it can't just be love in the abstract. It's love that's informed by knowledge and truth. The boundaries that bring freedom, right? This is why Paul prays the way that he does. It's, it, it's, it's compassion and it's content. That's where we get discernment. Look at verse 9 again. And it's my prayer that you 
that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, if I'm really loving and I'm really rooted in knowledge of God's word as my guiding principle, as my, as my truth, then when I'm faced with a thousand different choices every single day, I can ask some really simple questions that lead to discernment, right? Like, is this choice that I'm faced with, one of a 10,000 every day, is this choice that I'm faced with going to promote love for God and others? Like, that's a really, really good discerning question. Like, that's God-centered discernment. It's a great question to ask throughout your day. Is this choice going to correspond to the heart of God as I know he's revealed his heart in his word? Great question to bring discernment. That's knowledge. That, that's, that's love that's constrained by knowledge that leads to discernment. And if you get a group of people that are all doing that collectively, that becomes a really beautiful church. You feel that? That's why Paul is praying this way. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so what does that produce? What does that produce? What's going to be the result? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 10. So that, so the result, like, like I want you to have love, truth, discernment. So what's the result? So, or thus, you may approve what is excellent and be, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So you may approve what is excellent. Another translation could be approve what is best, to know what is best, to choose what is best. Another way to say it might be so that you can have wisdom. That you can be wise. And what does that lead to? Well, he says, being pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Like when Christ returns to make all things right. Now, we've got to pause here and, and just be careful. Because it would be easy to read this text in a way that makes you a slave. And that brings fear. Right? It would be easy to read this text... If you didn't know the broader context of Philippians or the Bible and think, oh, okay, so I just need to have love and truth and discernment leading to wisdom. And if I can just pull all that off, then I'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Meaning, then I'll be saved. That's not what Paul believes. So we just got to stop and like beware. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay. Even though it might look like that at face value when you read this text. I can say that with such confidence because of what Paul's going to write just a few verses later. And if you want to flip over to chapter 3, you can look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And look at what he says. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's knowledge. Knowledge of Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I might, that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, here it is, not having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness that I conjured up through my good works that comes from the law. So not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, he's saying I, I don't earn my salvation by obedience to God's commands. But salvation comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, okay? So just let that check us theologically this morning so we don't fall into heresies of a works-based righteousness, a works-based salvation. Paul's spelling out clearly that salvation is a gift of God that comes from faith, trust, in his promise to save all those who come to him and cast themselves on him by faith because they believe he's trustworthy. Okay? So don't get confused when we read this text. He's not preaching works-based righteousness. He's saying if these things, like love and truth and discernment, are evidence in your life, they don't save you. They're evidence that you have been saved. Make sense? Really important distinction, okay? And so then, when, I, when there's evidence of that in my life, then on the last day when Jesus returns, there's no fear because I'm a child of God. And there's just evidence of that in my life. Okay? We're going we're gonna to unpa- continue to unpack this just a little bit. Look at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent... And so be pure and blameless to the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit, again, he's talking about fruit. Fruit of righteousness, how does it come? It comes through Jesus Christ. Why? So that God gets the glory. To the glory and praise of God. So Paul's praying, okay, he's praying, like, what what does this Philippian church need? It needs this. Man, I want these believers' lives to show something. To, to be put on display for an onlooking world. Like, unbelievers should be able to look at them and see something. What, what does he call it? What does he call it? He calls it fruit. See that in verse 11? They should be able to see fruit. Fruit of righteousness. And not just a little, but what is the word he uses in verse 11? He says, filled with fruit of righteousness. Like that's the demonstration part of the Christian life. That's why in our mission statement out here in the hall, right above the drinking fountain, right? It says, we desire to plant churches and make disciples among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. And Paul's praying that way here too. Support for our mission statement right here, right? That would be filled with the fruit, the display, uh, like there's something hanging off of my life that you can actually see and you could grab it and and eat and be nourished. So we have to have something to say. That's the declaration part, the declaration of the gospel, the declaration of the promises of God, the declaration of your testimony, what God has done in your life, and a corresponding lifestyle that supports that. And when we fail, we admit it and, and just, again, talk about that. Declare that. Right? 
looks like fruit. It looks like fruit on a tree. Like, what would you say if, if someone told you an apple tree out here was, was alive, but it had no leaves, no fruit, bark is starting to peel off, and, and the branches are, like, really brittle where you can just snap them off? But, like, yeah, that's a, that's a really healthy tree. You say, I'm not convinced. But if you see a tree that's in full bloom, has fruit coming off it, you know that tree is alive and well because of the evidence, right? Like fruit doesn't make the tree alive. Fruit is the proof that it has been made alive, right? So Paul's just praying that these early Christians would display with their lives what they say they believe. that they truly know the gospel of grace and that that's impacted their life. Fruit doesn't make you saved. It shows that you have been saved. Look at these last couple phrases and then we'll be done. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes by your own effort. Is that what it says? Y'all got to be checking me, right? Don't just, don't just be convinced because I say it. You got to be convinced from the word. No, it's not what it says. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The text says that your righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, through being connected to Jesus Christ. This happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon for another day. That's what the Bible teaches. So Paul isn't praying that these people get to work. He's praying, Lord, would you make them connected to Jesus? Would you make them connected to Jesus? Because all, all of this happens through Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, alive in their lives. Connected to Jesus, through Jesus. Like, that's why this church is called the vine. What did Jesus say? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you want to get any nutrients, it comes through the vine and out to the branches. If you want to have any fruit in your life, it comes through through the vine, and then out to the branches. Jesus is the source, right? You have to be connected to Jesus. See, Paul's just praying, may this church be connected to Jesus. I think he would pray the same way for us. So Madison Church, Philippian Church, let's be connected to Jesus. Let's be connected to Jesus. That's our only hope. It's not in your effort. It's not in your ability to clean yourself up and try to prove to God that you're worthy to be saved. No, it's like, dude, I can't clean myself up. I can't prove to you that I'm worthy to be saved. But I, but I do want to be connected to you. And so I'm going to come to you by faith and trust in your promises. And I want to be connected to you because I love you, because of what you've done and your love for me. And when that happens, what happens? Well, Paul tells us the whole point. What's the whole point? 
to the glory and praise of God. That can just be like a throwaway statement if we're not careful. Like Paul's just tacking that on because whatever, it's like religious talk. That's not what he's doing. He's saying this is the whole point. Like may, may, may this Philippian church get the idea squarely through their heads. May Madison churches that love Jesus get this squarely through their heads that what? That they are not the point. That you are not the point. What's the point? God and his glory. Like the whole goal of his praying is that God, may you be glorified through this. God, may you look good. May people stand back from you and go, man, God is beautiful. Look at his creation. God is beautiful. Look at what he's done in history. Like that's the most freeing thing in my life is that when I meditate on the fact that I'm not the point and that God is the point, what happens? My joy increases. My anxieties can tend to decrease. It's never going to be perfect, but it starts heading in that direction, right? That's where the freedom starts to, to set in. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm freed up to not be the point because that's, that's a weight that I can't carry. Like, the more you make yourself the point, the sadder, depressed, anxious you're going to become because it's going against the grain of how you were created. And when you go against the grain of how you were created, sorrows increase. But when you embrace what Paul is praying for here, that, that the whole point of all this, my loving, my knowledge, my discernment, the fruit of my life, is that I'm not at the center, that God and his glory is the center, and, and he's the sun, and we orbit around him. He doesn't orbit around us. We orbit around him. That's where everything starts to fit and make sense, and I know where my life is at, and I know why I exist. Like, why? I mean, you want to get real existential crisis? I mean, all of us do it. Like, why in the world do I exist? Am I just, am I just a random accident, cosmic accident of time and pressure and gravity and certain conditions that just happen to be right and out, out we come, here we are, and then the sun's going to burn up someday and it's all going to be over and it's all pointless. Like, that'll give you nightmares. Praise God that he has revealed himself to us and told us, that, yeah, actually that's not how it works. You were created for my glory. And when you get that, your satisfaction actually increases. Your joy increases. Because you weren't created to be the point. Isn't it beautiful to know that God's glory and my satisfaction are not competing with each other? They're the same. God's desire to be glorified, my desire to be satisfied are the same pursuit. Because when I get myself placed underneath the realm of his love and his sovereignty, that's where I start to know, man, this is, this is actually satisfying. So fine church, Philippian church, let's continue to pray this way, that our love and seeking of the truth 
and discernment would increase and that the onlooking world would see the fruit that is in our lives that we're, as we're connected to Jesus and that we can tell them that the whole point of why we exist and why we have this fruit of love and discernment and, and truth, it's, it's not about us. It's about God. And can I tell you about this God? Can I tell you about Jesus and what he's done in history? I think that's what, what Paul wants for this church. I think that's what he would want for this church as well. So let's embrace it. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word to us this morning. Thanks for the gift that it is. Thanks that we can see Paul's heart as he prays, as you inspired him to pray. Um, and may we take these words really seriously, Lord, this morning. We thank you that even when we fall short, um, your promise is there to pick us up again and to give us assurance that you love us and that that changes our lives to love you even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Man, we got some questions here. What time is it? We got time. All right. First question. How should we understand bad fruit that continues to be an issue in the life of a believer? Sin or sinful patterns that are ongoing battles even after being saved, things that we see in our lives and don't like, but we struggle to root out. Great, great question. And this is uh, the fancy theological term that this person is asking about is the, what's called the doctrine of sanctification. How is it that Christians go about growing in holiness over the course of their lives? How do I make sense of the fact that there is, um, another fancy term would be indwelling sin, that I see, that I am not perfectly um, righteous in terms of my behavior right now. I'm perfectly righteous as God sees me because he sees Christ in me as I'm connected to him. But experientially, I don't always see that day to day, right? And so this is a, a big question, right? How do I make sense of the fact that there's still sin in my life? Well, the Bible assumes that that's going to be the case, okay, um, that we will all, we'll never find perfection in this life. The Bible assumes we're going to need to confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Bible assumes that we're going to, God teaches that we're going to have sin in our life. But what about, like, growing, and what about um, when, I, when I see maybe a pattern of disobedience in my life? How do I make sense of that? I think for a lot of people, where we have to start is think about, like, the time frame sometimes. And a lot of times we're especially as Americans, we're addicted to instant gratification. We're very pragmatic. It's got to be results now, and, you know, it's like, that's just the American way. This problem, you solve it, right? But sanctification is a journey, right? So one of the things I would encourage you to look at is, let's say there's a certain sin struggle. Um, like in our home, it might be uh, frustration in parenting because like man I just I want to be less frustrated with the kids when they don't 
do what we're asking them to do. That's kind of been a that's been present for 19 years, right? But what I ask myself and what I would ask anybody is like, is it the same as it was 19 years ago? And I, I think I have to be honest, say like, we're not perfect, but there there is a pattern of growth, right? There is a pattern of growth. Um, so I think one thing you should look for is, is am I the same as I was? And think longer, like 15 years ago. Is it the same? Exactly the same? Because if it's not, that that is growth. That is evidence of the Spirit working in your life. But but really, um, we have to be willing to. Like the Bible says, to examine ourselves. And there's a lot, don't hear what I'm not saying, um, but I think it is true that for some people, um, if there is a habitual pattern of sin over a life and, and there's not any growth whatsoever that's tangible, I think it is a fair question to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Um, do I want Jesus? And has he, has he invaded my life for the sake of his glory and my joy? And I really get that. Now, don't run with that because I think for you to, um, I don't want you to apply that question to yourself without doing that in community. Okay? So if that's haunting you, like I don't even know if I'm a Christian, like you should let somebody help you walk in that. I see this pattern in my life and I'm wondering if I even am a Christian, because the pattern has not been broken whatsoever, no growth whatsoever. In fact, it's getting worse. Then, then I think that's a time when you want to talk to somebody, right? Somebody that loves you, that loves God's word, to help you discern what's going on there, okay? There's a lot to say about this question, but let's, let's, um, let's do another one here. Number two. fruit are we lacking in? Huh. I think that means just like, uh, what are some common practical areas of life you think are easy to neglect as Christians? That's a good question. I mean, this is my opinion, so you could, you all could answer this probably differently than me, but, um, I know, like, when I was a kid growing up in the church, like, the big definition of sin was, like, sex, drugs, and alcohol. You know what I mean? Like, if you could just stay away from those things, that's the pathway of holiness. Right? And it's never less than those things, right? Like, the Bible's clear about um, what God-glorifying sexuality looks like. God's clear about drunkenness. God's clear about being a slave to substances. But it's much, much, the fruit that glorifies God is much, much more than sex, drugs, and rock and roll or whatever, right? I, I'm convicted as I get older about the, my use of words. I'm convicted about um, how gossip destroys communities. Um, I think that would be a, a big one. I can, I can see um, for Americans especially, like... Um, Slaves to comfort, you know. Um, those are, I think, really common ones that 
that come to mind for me. Um, it's easy to see the, like, it's easy to see the gross sins, however you define that, and just feel like God, you know, doesn't really care about these other things. But we just have to be careful that, like, my, my filter is deeper than what the culture says, and it actually is rooted in God's word. Because the Bible says a lot more about fruit than just don't have premarital sex, don't get drunk, and don't smoke weed or whatever. One more. Paul drops prayers on every page for the church throughout all of his letters. So true. D.A. Carson wrote a book about Paul's prayers. Get it on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Um, it's great. D.A. Carson, uh, I think it's called The Prayers of Paul or something, but just Google search it. What ways have you found to be helpful to grow into this type of prayer life with this desire to enlarge your heart to pray for others? Kim, why don't you come answer this one? Because I, I just think of that, um, Kim is, I see her in, in the mornings when we're doing devotions or whatever, doing a great job with um, how she's praying for people and praying joy. And I, a lot of you are mortified that I'll put my wife on the spot. She loves Q&A. She's not intimidated by this. And she um, does a great job. Um, so maybe you could just share, like, how are you... How have you found it helpful to, uh, let's see, what ways have you found to be helpful to grow into this type of prayer life? Um, the, like basically praying like Paul, other-centered praying, God-glorifying praying. Um, I'm just like you all, like Zach was saying, I can focus too much on myself and my own prayers, and I get kind of stuck. And so I think praying scripture. And so pick out the Paul's, Paul's prayers. Amen. Pick out other prayers in scriptures. And, and, and that's what I do. So, I mean, I had note cards um, with Philippians 1, 9 through 11, with Colossians 2, with Colossians 1. Um, and I just, or in Psalms, there's lots of prayers in Psalms to not only for yourself, but for others. And I'm just, uh, so I need those. I need to m kind of infuse what, what the scriptures say. And I just pray through those, just like we did um, when we prayed. I just pick that prayer and then I just focus it on myself, my kids, Divine Church, and just put different names yeah, in amen. it. So that's, so it's pray. really not, it's pretty simple. <laughs> pray scripture. Yeah, pray scripture is great. I, 